Well, hello, my wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous, wealthy saints and friends. It's so good to come before you with another Bible study live. Uh, appreciate all of you who consistently tune in and make uh, this broadcast what it is. And you check in online, you uh, watch the rebroadcast, you like, you subscribe. And so we want you to know that we are appreciative and grateful. Let's uh, bow our heads and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We praise you. We love you. We honor you and we appreciate you. You are uh, so much to us. You mean so much and we're grateful for all that you've done. God, we still have a lot of challenges uh, that we have to face and that we're facing, but we're glad we're not facing them alone. We're facing them with you. And for that, we are grateful. Now, God, illuminate the study, teach through my mouth and bless the ears of your hearers and listeners. And he that hath the ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church on tonight. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Man, so we have not been in a series, but I'm still going to uh, recap the last few uh, sermons. And so we started off with shaken faith. And uh, we once again spoke of how that your faith can actually be shaken or tested, but there are certain things that are unshakable. And so we were learning that the duality of that, and we gave you the uh, mental picture of a snow globe. Some things remain unshaken and some things are shaking, shaken, but it is a beauty in it all. And then we went from there to, I hope you dance. And I hope you dance was having the, the hope that your morning will turn into dancing, uh, as you trust God. And lean into God. And so we gave a, uh, example on that of, uh, teeter totter, how life has both ups and downs, but we look to God to bring the balance that we need to life. And then we also understand that He can turn our morning into dancing. And then we went from there and we went into, uh, reverse on last Sunday. And so that's where we will, uh, start with and work through. And so uh, we'll give you the definition as well of reverse uh, going in or turn toward the direction opposite to that previously stated. So you're in one direction and a reversal turns and moves things in the opposite direction. And so with each one of these, we gave you a picture so you will have a mental uh, picture and so, of course, the snow globe, then the teeter-totter. And here was the mental picture for this. And it was the picture of Uno cards and the reversing in Uno cards. And then we decided to go away from the topic and the title to go elsewhere and come back and pick that up later. So we'll do that again. We'll, we're going to uh, take some time and park in these four verses here, Psalms 137, 1 through 4. And when you get to this uh, chapter, it is speaking of the uh, children of Israel's exile into uh, Babylon. Now, when, when we talk about Babylon, the Babylonian exile, it really speaks of Judah and Jerusalem. So uh, after Solomon, uh, after David uh, first Saul king and then David, then Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom ended up being split into two. 
there was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah and Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was Israel and Samaria. Now, Israel had done a lot of uh, evil things as well as Judah, and Israel was judged by a land called Assyria. But by the time you get to the Babylonian exile, that really deals with the kingdom of Judah, and it deals with Jerusalem. So looking with that historical context, let's look at the first verse. It says this, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. So at a certain point in the exile, so the way that places were conquered, especially walled, fortified cities like a Jerusalem, they did what they called a siege, where they blocked everything off. And so nothing came into the city and nothing was able to go out. And eventually the city begins to deteriorate. And at some point they're able to break in and overpower. So that's actually what happened. And the city of Jerusalem actually fell. Uh, uh, it was burned. Many places was burned. The things of the temple were taken, robbed, taken back uh, to Babylon. It didn't have to happen that way. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied and kept trying to warn them. But many other false prophets was like, well, no, we're going to be okay. Uh, Babylon will never make it to us. God's going to fight our battles. But that's not what God was saying. And so it eventually happened. And so in this psalm, it's looking at the perspective of what they felt when they got in that situation where it was really an all is lost situation. So let's look at it again. Beside the rivers of Babylon. So now we're in the place of exile. We're in the place of bondage. We are in the prison. And so we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem, as we thought of where we should be, where we should still be, our home. Uh, we thought about the memories. It brought us to weep. And I, I, what I like, and I'm going to go back to it again, we sat and wept. There are, are some tragedies that, inhibit and hinder you from moving forward. And the only thing you have left to do is just to sit and weep. So there wasn't a vibrant moving forward. We sat and we wept. In other words, we didn't have any other resources left. And all we had were our thoughts and our tears and our stagnation. We're not moving forward. All we can do is think about what could have been, what should have been, all the thoughts, and it just brought them to a place of weeping. And so verse 2 goes even further. It says, we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. So it caused us to put our praise on the shelf. It actually stopped us in our tracks to the point where what is normally uh, normal to us became useless to us. I don't need this. It's, it's very uh, trying and troubling when gifted people have to set aside their gift. There are people who are, for, for an example, a comedian, who they're gifted at making other people laugh, and it actually brings them joy to make other people laugh. 
but they can go through something so tough that not only do they not want to make other people laugh, they don't care. They don't care to exercise their gift. Some people use their gift to get through their trouble. Some people are so stuck and so strapped that even their gift has to be set to the side. I'm a teacher and I can't teach. I'm a preacher and I can't preach. I'm a singer who can't sing. I'm a comedian who can't laugh. I am actually trapped in the trauma of whatever it is. And so, so of course, Psalm is poetic. And so it's painting the picture. And so we're using these metaphors for us for similar things. It's not as if they actually sat and put up the harps. It is imagery. It is poetic imagery to talk about how life can be and how life can sometimes get. And one of the reasons to bring this up is to remind you of your humanness. If you have ever been in a situation like this, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Sometimes it happens to the best of us. But we want to continue to uh, read to see how this is shaping up. And this is what's interesting. Verse three, it says, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. Now, I brought this up on Sunday morning that as I looked in some commentary, the uh, commentator, and I can't remember which one it was. It may have been Matthew Henry commentary. It talked about how it's hard to tell if the captors were being honest in what they're asking or if they were poking fun. It's, and, and that's a good, that's a good place to just think about. You can go through, you can go through things so deep that what is normal, you can't tell if it's help or hurt. You can't tell if it's authentic or if you're playing jokes on me. Like sometimes people ask you how you're doing and you are so conflicted. You can't tell if how you're doing is nice. They really checking or are they just trying to be nosy and they're prying? And and you I mean, you can go through so much that you are literally confused at the things that are coming at you. Uh, the scripture says tormentors. So there's a there's a piece of it that it seems like it was disingenuous. It was just tormenting that you're picking, you're throwing salt in the wound. You're you're asking me to conjure up things of a place that I lost. Hey, how's your ex doing? Ha ha ha. Not knowing that that crushes you, because even though you had to leave him or her, the fact that you haven't found your next breaks you. And here you got someone talking about, uh, how's your ex? And they may just be joking and they may be trying to be harmful, but you can't tell the difference because you're so crushed. So I love the imagery that's being painted here. It's painting a picture of being stuck. And when you get stuck, trying to get unstuck, it can be so exhausting because all the energy you have got you further stuck. If you've ever driven in the snow and got stuck in the snow and you got to the place where you're spinning your wheels and the more you tried to get out, the more you dug a deeper pit. And then there's just a helplessness there that I'm stuck and there's nothing I can do to change it. So this is kind of what they were going through. 
for our captors demanded a song from us, and they insisted on a joyful hymn. And another thing I want to bring up as it relates to church, there is a portion of church that can be inauthentic and disingenuous in the fact that just because I showed up doesn't mean that I've overcome. I'm showing up because this is all I have. This is all I know. So when someone says, if there's somebody on your role not praising, find another role. It's good to preach and sound like that. But it may be a case I, I can't praise today. I, I'm not mentally capable of praising. I did everything I did to just get here. So the fact that I can't offer a joyful hymn, that I can't run around the church, sometimes you have to learn how to give space for people who are stuck. Now, of course, we believe in deliverance, we preach deliverance, but sometimes we forget the process of deliverance. So everybody's not going to turn around three times, shout hallelujah, and get unstuck, get delivered. Some people have a journey and have a process, and you'll find out who's really with you when you don't get unstuck as quick as they want you. They prayed for you one day, and the next day you still have a bad day and you still need to call them and still need to talk to them. And you'll find out some Christians, they ain't for that until they're in it. It's amazing how much they believe you can just have faith and prayer and get past it until they face something. So that's why even a deliverance ministry, there needs to be a high level of empathy, which says, yes, I want to see you delivered, but I'm also willing mentally to crawl in the space that you're in and experience it from what possibly might be your vantage point. I can't say I understand because I haven't been in it, but I am going to put myself in it mentally so I know where you're at. And then when I see it from your vantage point, I realize that I might hang up my harp too. I might weep over Jerusalem too. I might this, that, and the other. Another, uh, wrinkle in the whole plan is that if you know the story of the exile, it was basically because of Israel's sin or Judah is a better way to say it's basically because of Judah's sin. That's how they ended up where they are. What we have to understand is not only do people know they've sinned, the devil knows they sinned so that when they're in a place of bondage, especially if it had something to do with their own doing, or they could have done something better, or they could have changed something, the devil will beat them up even more and have them beat themselves up. If I only had done this, if I only had done that, and here comes the devil. Yep, see, uh, you spent all them them years lusting, and, and now you got what you got. Now you can't find a woman. Now you but and you got all that stuff ringing in your head. It's very hard to have a real, authentic praise when you are being tormented. All right, so the response from this, we'll read this again. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Zion or the songs of Jerusalem. The King James says Zion. This version says Jerusalem. So let's look at what verse 4 says. And this is from the King James because I like the way it says it. It says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Do you really expect me 
to be able to sing under these circumstances in the strange land where there is no anointing. I don't feel the oil. I don't feel the goosebumps. I don't feel the chills. I don't feel the fire in my belly. I feel nothing. I'm broken. I'm empty. And you expect me to sing? And my question is, well, how? Tell me how. How do I muster up the courage in what I'm facing? How do I get to the place where you are when you haven't gone through what I've gone through? So how can you sit over there and expect me? The question is how? And my answer to that question was, I don't know how. In many cases, in certain things, I really don't know how you humanly move forward. I can't fathom some of the things that some people face, that some people go through. And some of you would never be able to fathom what I uh, do if I told you what I have to face to do what I do. So the how many times escapes us. So on Sunday, I told you I can't tell you how because I don't know how, but I can offer this suggestion. And here was the suggestion. Sing anyway. In other words, there are some things you have to do void of feeling. I don't feel like coming to church. Come anyway. I don't feel like praying. Pray anyway. Well, pastor, I can't pray. Listen to somebody else that's praying. I don't feel the songs of Zion. Well, play them. Let's let them play. In other words, do something anyway. In the face of adversity, one of the best things you can do is face the adversity because it's not going anywhere. It's going to be there and it's going to look at you and looking away from it, it's not going to help. Sometimes you just got to look back and you got to do stuff anyway. You got to do it by faith. And many times we think faith always comes with a feeling. Whew, I feel like going on. I feel like everything's going to be all right. But what happens when you don't feel like going on and you don't feel like everything's going to be all right? That's when it is important to do stuff anyway, because now you're not doing it from head knowledge. You're doing it from the core of who you are. And one of the things I learned is how you know you really have something is when you do what you don't want to do. When I wasn't a pastor, there are times I'd been in stuff and I was just like, I'm, I'm not going to church today. I'm staying home. I'm just going, I'm sitting this one out maybe next week, but not this week. I've made up my mind on Saturday night. I'm not doing it. And on Sunday morning, I'm getting dressed for church and looking in the mirror is like, dog, I, like I forgot. I forgot that I wasn't going, but I'm dressed now. Might as well go. And then here's something that gives me just a little something to hold on. And next thing you know, I'm not not coming to church. I'm back in it. And next thing you know, I'm the pastor of the church that I was trying not to come back to. Because you'll find out what you have when crisis shows up. When real crisis shows up, you'll find out what you have. And it's not always at the surface, not the head level. It's at that deep level. 
Because many times what you're doing when you're not in crisis is you are gathering seed that's being planted into you. And like it is with money, they say save for a rainy day. Many times there are sermons that are going into your heart for a rainy day. There are, there are things that I'm preaching that you understand it the first time you hear it on one level. But it takes you getting in something deep to be like, man, that message, whew, that I, I didn't know how much I needed it till I needed it. Because it's like an IV, it's like an intravenous fluid. It bypasses everything and it gets straight into your system. And so many times you find out you have more than what you thought you did when you are provoked to sing a song that you have no energy to sing, to move in a way you have no energy to move. And you'll find you find strength from other places. And sometimes people will ask you, like, how are you doing this? And you have the same answer. I don't know how. It had to be God. This has to be God because mentally I can't explain how I'm doing it. But you find out that your spirit has been strengthened all this time. So that's why even though sometimes it seems futile, tuning in to these Bible studies, coming to church, giving, praying, reading, it can seem so empty, especially when you're reading stuff that you don't understand, like a Leviticus. And it's just a bunch of like, okay, okay, I don't even know what that's about. And like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't remember if I read it or not, because it's all running together. But the Bible says something about speaking in tongues. It says, or praying in the spirit. It says that your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit benefits. It's not just a thing that happens in the gift of tongues. It happens in very, various spiritual disciplines where it may not mean a lot in here. But it'll mean a lot in here and you won't know it means a lot in here until you need it. Until your mind can't compute and your spirit takes over when you're praising and you didn't know you had a praise. You're praying and you didn't know you had a prayer. You're speaking and sharing with someone when you didn't even know you had the gift to share with someone. You're telling your testimony. And have you ever told your testimony and as you're telling it? You're shocked yourself because it reminds you what you went through and you almost forgot it until you retold it to someone. Many times our life is like surgery. We are being cut on, but we're being cut on through anesthesia. So we don't really know how bad it was until we're healed and we're looking back at the x-ray and we're looking back at what was going on and realize, wow, I went through something, but I came out. So sing anyway. So I wanted to focus on that word anyway, because I used it last week with run anyway. So anyway is used to indicate that something happened or will happen in spite of something else. So what I'm not asking you to do is deny one thing to embrace the other. When we look at that psalm, it is very clear what they were going through. They were weeping. So we're not asking you to deny what's causing you to weep. But what you're saying is, anyway, is I'm going to add something else, even though this is here. Grief is here. I can't do anything about it, can't get around it, but I'm going to add a song, too. Um, I remember when my grandmother passed, it was a song that 
brought strength, but it wasn't a, a spiritual song necessarily. It was a secular song, song uh, written by someone else, but it was covered by Babyface. And I was listening to Babyface sing it, but I felt spiritual strength from it. It wasn't a praise song, but it was something that was providing me strength. So I just put that thing on repeat and I just kept playing it, playing it, playing it. And it was strengthening me. I wasn't denying what I was going through, but I was adding something that was bringing me strength. Now, at the time I was doing this, I didn't know I'd be asked to preach my grandmother's funeral. I didn't know that that was going to be a task. And after I did it, people were saying, I don't know how you did it. How were you strong enough to do it? Well, I did an anyway. I, I, I grabbed hold of something that was giving me strength. And while I was struggling, I grabbed that too. Was I grieving? Yes, but I had an anyway. And many times, if you can keep an anyway and not just fold, It'll give you what you need to move forward. So we're looking at that definition again. Used to indicate that something happened or will happen in spite of something else. So the something else is still there, but something else can still happen. So let's go and define in spite of, because that's a phrase that we see often. In spite of is the same as the word despite. They mean the same thing, and it means without being affected by the particular factor mentioned. Now, what I like to do is change that affected because there are some things that will affect you, but I like to add altered without being altered by the particular factor mentioned. So we're not denying the factor, but we're saying, but we are denying the factor, the power to alter our final destination. So if I am saved, I'm denying anything, the right to Alter to the place where I say, I just give up on my salvation. Forget it. Now you can be brought to the forget it stage, but then you need in any way to say, even though I'm at the edge of forget it, I also know there's nothing for me to go back to. There's nothing for me to give up to. There's nothing for me to quit to. So instead of just contemplating the quitting, I've got to add something else. So I can grab hold of that in spite of my wanting to quit, my feeling like quitting, my feeling like walking away. I need an in spite of. And oftentimes, Deliverance Temple acts as that in spite of. If I can just get there, if I can just get around the people there, if I can just hear the word there, it gives me an in spite of. Yes, I'm dealing with this. But in spite of that, I'm grabbing hold to this. Uh, Paul said that I may grab hold of the thing that grabbed hold of me. That's not how he said it. He actually said that I may apprehend that which apprehended me. In other words, if God is trying to get a hold of me, I'm going to try to get a hold of him. Now, I could grab the grief. I could grab the pain. But why do that? Because it's coming regardless. I didn't invite it. And it showed up. So the last thing I'm going to do is grab to it and turn that into my comfort. Some people go through stuff so tough that they turn and they make that their comfort. And then they get stuck in it to the point they are, they become comforted in grief. In other words, when you try to push them out of it, they're like, no, because now getting out of it is unfamiliar. So they just hold on to it. Now, we're not talking about normal grief. 
We're talking about someone who has not chosen the in spite of. That's not keeping in the back of their mind that I can't stay here forever. This has to be temporary. It has to be momentary. Now, it may last a lifetime, but it cannot have the same intensity for the entire lifetime. Over a period of time, there there ought to be some manageableness to it. And I've got to figure out how to get to the manageableness of sorrow, grief, pain, loss, and not just loss of life. But it could be loss of a loss of a relationship. The marriage failed. OK, but how long are you going to hold on to that? Because it's a possibility that there is a next somewhere. And if you're holding on to that, you may never get to it. There are sometimes men are more prone to do that. They're more prone to say, well, look, I just sleep around because my first marriage failed. And look, I ain't no good. So I just sleep around now. That's a cop out. You're sleeping around now because you're still grieving what you lost. But at some point, you've got to bury what you lost because it could be that next spouse could be the spouse that unlocks all your potential, but you have camouflaged it in, well, I'm just a player. No, you're not a player. You're brokenhearted. And if you could honestly deal with your brokenheartedness, then you can add an in spite. I'm brokenhearted, but I'm holding out hope that I could be a husband again. I'm holding out hope my business could grow again. I'm holding out hope that my ministry might rebound again. That's the mentality of in spite. So I can't tell you what to do. I don't know the how, but I can suggest sing anyway, push anyway. Now that may look different for different people. Don't assume that what I'm saying is telling you that you have to deny what you feel. You may feel 98% pain and only 2% in spite of. I'm saying it's okay, but don't give up on the 2% in spite of. Hold on to it. Hold on to that glimmer of hope, that glimmer of possibility, because people will tell you that if it wasn't for you holding on to the glimmer or them holding on to the glimmer, they never would have got to a more manageable, more balanceable place where they could actually move and have the faculty of their mind. What the devil wants to do is rob your mind steal from you and render you useless. And you have to have an in spite of that. Okay. That's where I'm possibly may be right now, but devil, I won't be here forever. I often say this when I'm preaching, I won't cry forever. I won't be broke forever. I won't be sick forever. In other words, there's going to come a time where I'm going to have the ability to pull my head above water. I may never be the same. I may never be totally dry again, but I'm not going to drown. I may just have to float. I may just have to exist, but I'm not going to drown. Devil, you're not going to make me drown. So that's that's the mentality there. Let's look at Psalms 41 through 3 from the New Living. 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. And so the beauty of this is there was a choice. I'm choosing to wait for help. 
Number one, we talked about it last week. I'm going to cry out for help. I am not about to be super deep. I'm going to call out for help. I'm telling God I need help. If you don't help me, I'm going to lose my mind. I'll lose it. Y'all going to make me lose my mind up in here. I, I, I'm calling out for help. But by the same token, I'm willing to wait for help because I don't have anything else to turn to but you. So if you don't show up in the manner that I need you right away, I'm disciplined enough to wait for it because you're my only hope. As long as you have an alternative hope, it's easy to back up from waiting. As long as you can turn to an addiction, well, I'm just going to start smoking crack again. I'm going to just start doing that. As long as you have something else to turn to, it's easy not to wait. But when you've got to the place that, God, you are all I got. I don't have nothing else but you. Jesus said something that offended most of the multitudes. And they got up and they started leaving. That's when he started saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, he didn't explain that he was talking symbolic. So it hit people like, man, this, this dude talking wild and crazy. And they just got up one and they just started leaving by the drove. No matter all the miracles he had done, all the good things, they didn't give him a chance to explain himself. They just start checking out. And I think God had him say that to separate those people. And so then he has his 12 disciples and he turns to them. And he says, are y'all going to go too?" And Peter speaks up. And I'm paraphrasing, but Peter basically is like, we don't know what you're talking about either, Jesus. You lost us too. I don't know about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. I don't get none of that. But then he said, but where would we go? In other words, I, I, I'm thinking about leaving too, but I don't have nothing to go to because you have the keys to eternal life. So even though I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to roll the dice and stick with you, Jesus, because you're the only shot I have for eternal life. Maybe you're about to jack up this life, but you're the only hope I got for a life to come. So I'm not going anywhere. And that was a profound statement by Peter. And of course, I'm putting it in my own vernacular, but it's a powerful statement. Like, I don't have anything else to turn to. And as long as you keep a second chance, a second choice, a second option, a third option. It's easy to wiggle out of the will of God when the will of God gets tough. But when you have gone headlong into this and this is all you got, you hold out because I need you to come through God because I'm not trusting anything else. This is all I got. So David said, I waited patiently. All right, let's look at verse two. But before that, it says, and he turned and he heard my cry. Verse two, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked alone. So he's giving a testimony that God actually came through and did what I needed him to do. But then the question remains, how would I have ever known the depths of despair if I didn't taste some of it? If I didn't get in the pit. How would I ever understand the pit? How would I recognize you're in the pit if i would never been in the pit? If I'd never been in the pit and he lifted me out of, how could I confidently tell you he'll pull you out if I'd never been pulled out? 
So sometimes you have to taste some stuff to know what God can do. The Winans said it this way, said, what would I know about being restored if I never lost my place? And what would I know about his mercy if I never got out of grace? What would I know about regaining if I never lost? What would I know about lifting up if I never slipped and fell? What would I know about him pushing me forward if I never backslid? So when you're called to disciple others, sometimes you have to taste and touch some stuff. And that's why the Bible says of Jesus that he was not a high priest who didn't understand us, who didn't understand the feelings of our infirmities because he was tempted and tested like us. He knew what it was like and he went to the ultimate of going and dying for us so he knows everything. We can't say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. He knows everything. God knows what it's like to lose a child. God knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone because uh, his history, you don't really see it in the Bible, but history shows us that by the time that Jesus died, his uh, stepfather had already died. Joseph had already died. So he, he knew what it was like to lose not only that, he knew it was like to have a stepfather and not to have a biological father on the earth to have the same blood as him. He, he understood so we can trust him because he understands. Let's look at verse three. He has given me a new song to sing. So here's the answer to the question. How can we sing? You wait till he gives you a new song. And when you have a, a new song that has gone through the fire it's a different type of song. You can tell when someone is singing and you can tell when someone is singing, singing. Every now and then you'll, you'll see like a 12 or 13 year old and they sing and you clap and you shout because they're gifted, they're talented. But that same song from a 50 year old, sometimes it hits different. So when it went, when, when a uh, 13-year-old starts singing about loss and pain. It's cute, but you also know they ain't been through nothing. So it don't hit you. But when you take someone 50, 55, 60, and they sing, it does something different to you because they're singing with a different context. They've been through life, and it touches you in a different way. The first thing touches you is like, wow, they're gifted. The other thing touches you and says they got soul in their voice. You hear the pain in their voice. You hear the grit there. It does something to you. So they had a new song, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. In other words, they will see your life and choose to trust the Lord by seeing what you came through. So now the question is when? So here's the answer to that. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I like when. And here's the reason why. When is always more hopeful than if. If leaves questions. But when is a promise. When is a timetable. So it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. I can't tell you how. But I can suggest you do some stuff anyway. And if you do some stuff anyway, I can promise you that there is a win, not an if, there is a win. I don't know the win, but 
I can say this, it may not come when you want him, but he'll be right on time. And so it brings some hope. And so the first psalm that we read touches on the exile. The next psalm that we're going into, it touches on the exile, but it has a time clock with it. It has a different set of circumstances that is much more hopeful. So at first they're sitting by Babylon and they are weeping. They're stuck. They don't even know how they're going to sing. They can hang the harps. But verse 1 of Psalms 126 says this, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. So not if God did it, but when God did it. So we are now looking from the other side of the lens. From the first side of the lens, we're stuck. But the other side is there actually is a move of God that has shifted things. And when it did, we began to dream again. In other words, you can be hit with stuff so hard, it's hard to dream. Your dreams are on the shelf. But when I get to the place where I'm dreaming again, I'm hopeful again. It's not all about if, it's if, it's about when. When I get married, when the business takes off, when I get my strength back. When you begin to shift toward the wind, that means that faith has got rooted in you. In other words, you did some stuff anyway until faith sprung up in you. And now it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. So I'm not just holding patiently, hoping and wishing. It's me knowing this trouble can't last always. It's a win coming. All right. So let's look at this. And before I go to that, it's a W-H-E-N that gives you hope of a W-I-N. There is a win-win that I begin to believe in the win and then I begin to know that I'm going to win. And then there is a confidence that you carry When you know the W-H-E-N is coming to get you to a W-I-N. So before you get to the W-I-N, you have confidence and you have confidence that doesn't make sense because people are looking at you knowing that you're in loss. But in your mind, it's just a matter of time before this loss is going to turn into a W-I-N. I don't know W-H-E-N, but I do know in the end I'm going to win. So I have a different bravado. And when you've been through stuff and you still have hope and faith and dreams, it's hard for the devil to push you around and buffalo you because you're like, no, nah, you should have took me out when you had the chance. You should have took me out when I was about to lose my mind. But you couldn't make me lose my mind. And I still got my mind. And with my mind, I'm crazy enough to believe that I'm still going to win. So ha ha, devil. You thought you had me, but all you did is make me trust God more in this next season of my life. Watch me. Watch what I do. It does something to you when you know you've taken a punch, a sucker punch, and you didn't fold. Now, I should have folded. I should have failed. I should have passed out. Actually, I hit the ground. I heard one. I heard two. I heard three, I heard four, and my leg says, stay down, it's over. 
I heard six. I heard seven. But I heard seven from a different vantage point because my legs said stay down, but something told my legs to get up. So now I'm standing and I'm already up. Now all I got to do is open my eyes. I hear eight, nine, and I open my eyes. And then the referee's looking at, can you go on? Yeah, I'm ready. You didn't get to 10 yet. I'm ready. And I realized that if I didn't fold under that, there's nothing that can make me fold. And that's what the devil hates is someone who's dangerous enough to know I've been on the canvas, almost counted out, and I'm still up. And I can still swing. So swing anyway. Punch anyway. Throw a shot anyway. Because you just might see something in that. All right, let's, let's move to verse 2. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. So the wind leads to a then. If you can't laugh right now, don't worry about it. Because sometimes you need a win to get to a then. But when it comes and when your W-I-N happens, then you just have a laughter and a joy. And people will be irritated at you. Because you're not having bad days like they're having bad days. And you're like, you tripping over hangnail. I done been through hell, hell. Or you tripping because the wrong person got in office and now you can't function. Girl, you done lost your mind. I, you mean that take you out? I, I wish I could tell you what I've gone through. But I, I'm, I'm not here about to fold over no little wimpy stuff. I done been through so much that... I'm laughing and you ain't going to stop me from laughing. You're not going to stop me from having joy. You're not going to stop me from enjoying life. You're not going to stop me from going on vacation and feeling guilty because I left the job and, and I don't know who's going to do the job while I'm gone. Who cares? I'm on vacation. I done been through so much hell. I'm going to enjoy my moments. I'm going to laugh when it's time to laugh. For you wine drinkers, I'm going to sip. When it's time to sip, I'm going to dip when it's time to dip. I'm going to dance when it's time to dance. And why, what, what, what they doing? He, he's 75 years old. He need to sit down somewhere moving his hips. You don't know what he's been through in his 75 years. Let him dance. Let him move. Let him enjoy himself. When you going to be in town, seem like you always on another vacation. Why is it bothering you? See, you don't know what I've been through, so you're judging my enjoyment now. And the only thing I beg of you, Deliver Simple, when you get to the joy side, when you get to the laughter, don't let anybody talk you out of it. When you get to the money, don't let anybody talk you out of it and make you dumb yourself down. Well, you don't need a Lamborghini. No, I don't. But that's what I wanted, and that's what I bought. Either you ride in it with me, or you just go on about yourself and be mad in your pinto cause for whatever reason, God saw fit for me to have it and I have it and I'm not going to apologize for it because all the hell that I've been through, all the stuff that we've gone through, I'm going to enjoy whatever is out there for me. It's not going to make me materialistic. Well, you got to be careful of being materialistic. All the loss we've been through, do you think we would uh, really worship materials we would trade those materials to have some of those people back in our life but since we can't have them back we're going to enjoy the things that god has given us the bible said god gives us richly all things to enjoy 
So I'm going to enjoy. But you a pastor. You shouldn't be doing that. I don't care what you say. I'm about to enjoy my life when it's time to enjoy. There's a time for everything. We talked about that last week. All right. Let's move forward. Verse three. The Lord. Well, actually, I didn't finish uh, verse two. Let's go back to that. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Oh, our tongue was able to sing now. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. So people was able to say, whoo, God done hooked them up. I used to talk about them. I used to be jealous of them. I used to be mad at them. But I, I honestly got to look back and say, man, God has hooked them up. He's done great things for them. Let's look at verse three. The Lord have done great things for us, whereof we are glad. That's why we're glad. Verse four. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as stream renew the desert. So the psalmist is writing in one sense as a past tense, almost as a testimony. God did this. God did that. And they said it was a great thing, uh, great things. And then the next uh, two verses seem to not have been have happened yet as if it was a prayer. And the point was that was to take the reader and make it personal. They were telling of the testimony of them. But once you see their testimony, then you can confidently ask some of these things for your life. God, restore our fortunes. And as your pastor of Deliverance Temple, I am calling out to God and saying, God, restore our fortunes. Enough is enough. We've been through enough pain. Hopefully we've learned what we're supposed to learn. And I'm not just going to say, oh, well, I just quit. It's over. No, I'm calling out to God, not just help me, but God restore. So another way to say that, and now we're picking back up where we were before, God reverse. The stuff that the devil has been putting on us, we've been drawing to, we've been drawing for. And when it's time to get blessed, We've been skipped, and I don't like the way this is going. God, we need a reverse car. We need you to drop down a reverse and reverse this thing back around. We need some stuff to go, as we said, in the opposite direction. Instead of grief, we need life. Instead of being broke, we need wealth. Instead of being sick, we need help. But God, we need you to step in and reverse it. If we could do it ourselves, we would have done it, but we know we can't do it. And quitting is not going to help. So, God, we are turning to you to reverse for us. Turn it. Switch it. Flip the switch. When for God, it's as easy as a light switch. When you come in your house, you flip the light switch. You don't know how it all works, but the moment you flip it, lights come on. God can flip our fortunes just like that. He can flip our seasons just like that. We could be in, in winter and he could flip it like that. And God reverse it, flip it, turn it, however you want to have the mental picture. We need God to do it. And it's still my anticipation and my expectation. I'm going to put this picture back up one more time. I like the fact that there are three of these. So if you put down the blue reverse and the person next to you puts down the yellow reverse, now you're back at square one. But if you have, as long as you have the last reverse, you're going to be okay. It's going, and what we're saying is God has the final reversal. And at the end of the day, we all get heaven if we stay with God. So that's the major reversal. But we need some stuff, like I always say, right now. So how do we 
uh, sum it up. The scripture sums it up this way. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I'm just going to leave that there. Just let you think of that. Not even add any words to it. Just let you think of that. Now, how here's how the scripture explains it further. He that goeth forth and weepeth. Here's something I didn't bring up Sunday that I'll bring now. He that goeth forth weepeth. So remember before they were stuck. They had hung up their hearts and said, how can we sing? We just sat and wept. But this is a stark contrast here. He that goeth forth and weepeth. I'm still crying, but I'm moving forward as I cry. I may have to crawl and cry, but I'm not going to be stuck. I'm not going to stay stuck forever. I'm going to move forward. Let me tell you something, something that happened to me, and I may go just a little over. Over. I was just praying to God. And I was like, God, just, just, just give me a sign or something. Could be anything. And then uh, turn, uh, uh, called Siri out and say, Siri, play all songs shuffle as I'm going home. And in my mind, I was like, God, I want you to let me hear the song moving forward. And almost almost like I believe you're real if I hear the song moving forward. But the song never came on. I kept skipping and I got home. I was about 10 minutes from home. So it's like I need to hear the song in 10 minutes. I didn't hear the song. I went home and I forgot about it because it was I wasn't like really challenging God, but it was just like it would be nice if I have this thought and the song comes on. Song didn't come on. It's it's Friday. And I totally forgot about it. Saturday morning, me and my my wife were going to uh, watch uh, my niece's uh, softball game. And we we had to be there at nine. So we're going to leave like about 10 till eight. So my wife was already in the car. I had started the car and left to get something. When I came back and opened the door, the song moving forward was playing. And I just said to myself, wow. And then, then the thought hit me. God waited till my wife was with me to answer the prayer because we're one. And I never told, I never told her, anything. I just drove down and then I played the song over again because I was like, God, you did something that I had just thought about. But he's doing little things to show me, Andre, I'm still here. And I can still do what seems random and amazing. I can still do it. But I need you to trust me. And I'm not going to do it to where you just experience it by yourself. I want those people who are close to you to be next to you, and you're going to see it all together. So let's read this again. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, without a doubt, guarantee, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. What does that mean? Here it is in the New Living Translation. They weep as they go to plant their seed. What seed? The seed of tears. But they sing as they return with the harvest. So how can I sing? Don't worry. When the harvest comes, you'll be able to sing. It'll come freely. And the one person who will be weeping once you start singing is the devil who tried to make you weep to begin with. The tormentor, the captor. He's the one that's going to be weeping. You're the one that's going to be singing. All because you were brought to a reverse.
All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We honor you. I cannot think of a season that's been more difficult than what we've been in. But somehow we're growing closer together as a ministry. We're yet communicating love, Christ's love compassionately. The spirit of God is yet moving every service, every time. And so for that, God, we say thank you. We praise you. There were 10 lepers. Nine of them took the healing and went on. One of them said thank you. And we promise you, Father, we'll be the one to say thank you when you come through for us. Not if, but when you come through for us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you dearly. We'll say have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. See you again uh, next two weeks. We're going to have a special person teaching Bible study. And so I will let you guys know that coming up. And so I am excited. And ble- actually, I might as well just let you know. I got it right here. She's going to be teaching the next two Bible studies. So, so I'm excited about that. So anyway, have a blessed week. We love you and signing off. Thank you.